to Oncology Data Advisor. Today, I'm here with Dr. Bridget Killily. Hi, my name is Bridget Killily. Uh, I am a breast surgical oncologist, and I deal with um, all sorts of uh, variety of different patients. Um, I focus my practice on patients with benign and malignant breast disease. Um, and this includes um, women who have breast cancer, women who are at high risk for breast cancer, either because of their own history or family history, and those that have uh, benign de diseases of the breast. Um, I practice uh, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, um, and I'm with Hartford Healthcare. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, thank you for having me. So as a surgical oncologist, how do you counsel patients about breast cancer prevention? Sure, so there's a lot that we can talk about when we um, think about preventing breast cancer. Um, some of the risk factors are under our control and others are really are not. So the two biggest risk factors for breast cancer are, are being a woman, um, and age. So obviously there's nothing we can do about either one of those. Um, but the modifiable risk factors, um, which is what we call them when they're under our control, include things like maintaining a healthy body weight. So obesity is certainly a risk factor for breast cancer. Um, another thing that can be a little bit hard to talk about is alcohol. So alcohol consumption is also associated with an elevated risk of breast cancer. And it becomes a little bit difficult to decide exactly how much is too much. Uh, certainly we all need to live our lives and enjoy our lives. Um, definitely no more than one drink per day for women is recommended. And I do think that um, if we can try to keep it under that, even, you know, maybe two to three drinks per week uh, is a healthy amount in terms of preventing uh, or trying to prevent breast cancer. Um, exercise certainly also plays a role. Exercise is also good for a variety of things, including maintaining your bone density, I believe it's very good for mental health, for feeling your best and looking your best. And obviously it's good for uh, maintaining a healthy body weight as well. Family history also uh, plays a role in um, a person's risk for breast cancer. Um, there are two genes that, that we screen uh, for and that we talk about with patients that really increase a woman's risk of breast cancer. And those are called BRCA1 and BRCA2. Um, people that are at risk for these genes tend to be people that have um, an extensive family history of breast cancer in multiple generations, um, especially if any of those women are under the age of 50. Uh, or if any of those family members have a certain type of breast cancer that's more aggressive called triple negative breast cancer. Um, people that have a family history of male breast cancer is also another red flag for having an identifiable uh, or BRCA mutation. Um, people that have a family history of ovarian or fallopian tube cancer at any age, so not necessarily cervical uh, or uterine cancer, but ovarian or fallopian tube. Um, and then women who are of Ashkenazi Jewish descent 
um, are also at higher risk for, for BRCA mutations. Um, the field of genetics moves quickly, so there are some other uh, mutations that, that can place people at higher risk. Um, and oftentimes we will work with um, experts in the field, uh, genetic counselors, uh, to help us determine what, um, what genes uh, convey a particular risk for, for our patients. That was a really great overview, which definitely leads into my next question, which is what factors should be considered when determining the age at which individuals should begin to undergo screening? Oh, this is another very good question. So if you look at different societies, um, not all of the guidelines will give us the same age to begin screening. Um, in general, in the United States, we recommend for women who are at what we call average risk, um, to start breast cancer screening with annual mammography um, around age 40. For many women who are um, at this age, they may have what's called bre uh, dense breast tissue. Um, and for many of those women, we supplement mammography with another test called uh, a screening breast ultrasound. Um, this doesn't take the place of mammography. Sometimes um, patients will ask if they can not have their mammogram and do an ultrasound instead. Um, it doesn't really work that way because mammography is really uh, the best screening test that we have and the only test that's been demonstrated in uh, several randomized controlled clinical trials to decrease the mortality of breast for, uh, from breast cancer. Um, Another screening test that we have is called breast MRI. Um, this is a very sensitive test, which means that it may pick up things that could or couldn't be cancer. But oftentimes um, in my practice, I, I reserve MRI for women who are at highest risk um, or for women who have breast cancer um, and we're using it to define the extent of disease or help us work, uh, work up patients before surgery who may have gotten chemotherapy already. Um, in the United States, we screen annually, which means once a year. Um, in some other European countries, um, they'll screen every two years or even every three years. And this is all for women who are at, again, average risk. Um, for women who are at higher risk, like the BRCA uh, mutation carriers that we were talking about a few minutes ago, um, these women really are at higher than average risk. Um, so for this population of patients, we often will um, recommend an annual mammogram with or without ultrasound if the uh, breast tissue is dense, alternating with an annual MRI every year, and we like to space these two uh, screening modalities apart by six months. In addition, we recommend um, annual uh, self-breast examination and then annual um, clinical breast examination with either a breast surgeon uh, or the um, patient's OBGYN. Um, doctor or PA or nurse practitioner. Um, and, and many patients, if they're no longer going to an OBGYN, uh, will have a breast examination with their primary care doctor. 
So to move a little bit into the topic of surgery, um, what have some of the most recent developments in breast cancer surgery included? One of the things that I've been very excited about in um, the past several years is what we call oncoplastics. Um, so this is um, a type of uh, breast surgery that we use um, very commonly, and it's really taking um, a lot of elements from plastic surgery and using them um, to help us when we're doing what's called a lumpectomy or a partial mastectomy. And really it um, can be something um, very simple and straightforward, like moving tissue around a little bit after a tumor has been removed to kind of fill in the spaces and the gaps, <clears throat> excuse me, that are left in the breast. Um, or it can be something um, more extensive where we're doing almost like um, a, uh, a breast lift or a breast reduction after a lumpectomy. I think this has really, um, you know, changed our practice and has allowed many more women to feel comfortable getting a lumpectomy instead of a mastectomy, which is, um, you know, a longer, more invasive, more extensive procedure um, and really allows women to feel like they're, they're you know, getting an superior cosmetic outcome um, and still getting a very good cancer operation. Um, another thing that I've been excited about recently is um, we are doing far fewer uh, axillary dissections, which is a procedure where we remove all of the lymph nodes from underneath the armpit. Um, if cancer has spread to the lymph nodes, this procedure does put women at higher risk for what we call lymphedema, which is arm swelling, uh, which is not dangerous per se, but can be very uncomfortable um, and, and can last uh, for the remainder of a woman's uh, lifetime. So uh, these days, you know, based on some data from several years ago, um, when we're doing a lumpectomy for breast cancer, if we find one or two lymph nodes that have cancer cells in them, we no longer do an axillary dissection. Um, we will uh, just do the sentinel lymph node biopsy and then follow up uh, with radiation for those patients. Sounds like a lot of very exciting advances. <laughs> It is very exciting. And, and like I said, you know, the field does move quickly. Um, and as a surgeon, um, you know, we're always looking to improve our skills and um, improve the outcomes uh, for our patients while still making sure that we are um, being oncologically safe and, and taking care of the, the cancer. So the other agents that are in development and the other surgical advances on the horizon, which do you think will impact treatment the most in the future? Well, one of the um, therapeutic or, or I guess modalities really is um, using either chemotherapy or something called endocrine therapy before surgery. Um, and what this allows us to do is um, tell patients who we know are going to need one of these systemic therapies either before or after surgery to say, you know, you have a tumor that if we were to operate um, right now, you might need a mastectomy, but let's see if we can shrink this tumor a little bit uh, with um, some, it's usually targeted therapy. So uh, 
for women that have a certain kind of breast cancer called HER2 positive breast cancer. We work closely with our colleagues in medical oncology and oftentimes we'll have very good uh, what we call clinical um, or pathologic responses uh, to giving this type of uh, therapy before surgery. So in addition to you know, uh, allowing us to do perhaps less extensive surgery, it also gives us good information about how that patient's tumor has responded to the therapy. Uh, if the tumor is completely gone, that's what we call a very, gives us good prognostic information about um, how that patient is going to do um, in the future. Um, and if it hasn't, that also gives us good information. It means that perhaps that patient may benefit uh, from some more uh, therapy, which we wouldn't have known if we had removed the cancer um, previously. So, you know, all of this, I, I just want to make sure that I add, um, really does depend on the type of breast cancer that, that somebody has. And there really is no one size uh, fits all approach. These are all very tailored and very um, personalized uh, recommendations uh, for breast cancer. So um, I want to make sure that everybody understands that it really is best to talk to your doctor and work with your doctor, um, depending upon the, the type of breast cancer that somebody has. Well, thank you so much for explaining all of this and for sharing all this great information today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Oncology Data Advisor. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. In addition to our podcast, the Oncology Data Advisor site features expert perspectives and news stories on the latest in cancer research and treatments, all found at oncdata.com.